You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, award-winning volunteer and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Today is April 2nd, 2023, and this is episode 219 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll hear a conversation I had with Jack and Toby Graham, who have served as live-in lighthouse docents and caretakers at a number of locations. This will be part one of a two-part interview. Before we get to that, I want to remind people about the U.S. Lighthouse Society's tours happening this year. Yes, there are four domestic tours scheduled, Long Island, New York in May, Northern Lake Michigan in July, the Northern Maine Coast in New Brunswick, Canada in October, and Northern California in August. There's still room available on all of these tours. Yep, uh, I'll be leading the Long Island, New York tour in May. I'll probably be taking part in a couple of the other ones. There are also four international tours coming up. The Iceland tour in June is full, and so is the Spain tour in September, but there's still room on our Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island tour in August and a Patagonia tour in November. You can get more details on all these tours on the Society's website at uslhs.org. So, Michelle, let's tell everyone about today's guests, Jack and Toby Graham. Sure, Jeremy. John T. Graham, known to most people as Jack Graham, was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A retired Pennsylvania State Park manager, he's been an active volunteer in many areas of state and national history. Jack is also an old-time storyteller who performs as Pennsylvania Jack. As Pennsylvania Jack, he has performed at events at the State Museum in Harrisburg and at many other venues and events. He even won a blue ribbon at the Perry County Fair. You can find out more about Pennsylvania Jack online at pajack, that's P-A-J-A-C-K, dot com. Jack is a longtime lighthouse aficionado who has written many articles, around 50 in all, for the U.S. Lighthouse Society's quarterly journal, The Keeper's Log, and for Lighthouse Digest magazine. His articles often deal with overlooked but interesting aspects of lighthouse history and construction, like ironwork and stairways, Fresnel lenses, oil houses, and even privies, as well as biographical sketches of important historical personalities. Jack's wife, Toby Graham, grew up in West Orange, New Jersey. Her family spent summers on the Jersey Shore within sight of Barnegat Lighthouse. Toby taught both art and French in grades K through 12 for many years. She's an accomplished photographer and uses her photos to give illustrated talks on wildflowers and herbs, and more recently to accompany Jack's articles on lighthouse topics. Always interested in history, Jack and Toby joined a Revolutionary War reenactment group in 1976, making and wearing period uniforms and clothing, and were active in living history events for many years. While Jack was the manager at Ridley Creek State Park in Media, Pennsylvania, the entire family served as active members of the docent staff of the Colonial Pennsylvania Plantation, which is its 1700s living history farm. Jack and Toby married in 1970 and have a son and daughter, both of whom also have a son and a daughter. Since 2005, Jack and Toby have served as lighthouse caretakers at sites throughout the United States, 17 locations in all. 
The places they've lived have included the historic light stations at Seguin Island and Little River Island in Maine, several in Michigan, Piney Point in Maryland, Cape Lookout in North Carolina, and even Swallowtail Light Station in New Brunswick, Canada. I had the pleasure of speaking with Toby and Jack recently via Zoom. There was a lot of ground to cover, and we split the interview into two parts. Part two will be heard next week. Let's listen to part one of our conversation now. I'm speaking this afternoon with Jack and Toby Graham. We are speaking through the magic of Zoom, and we're going to talk uh, mainly about uh, Jack and Toby's uh, involvement with lighthouses. Uh, So thank you so much for joining me today, Toby and Jack. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Before we get into lighthouses, that's the main topic for today, but there are, we are going to touch on some other things. And first of all, Jack, let me ask you, I'd like to know maybe a little bit more about your background. I understand you grew up a little bit away from the ocean in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Quite a ways from the ocean, uh, although we did go to Lake Erie and our parents told us that was the ocean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's all, it's, it's pretty, it looks like an ocean when you're there. I don't think I saw an actual real lighthouse till I was probably on our honeymoon up in New England, you know, when we were married, we went up that way. Before mm-hmm. that, I don't think I had ever really seen one, you know, although we had been to the city of Erie, we didn't really pay any attention to the few that are up there. So uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a city boy, by all means. Right? Uh-huh. And you had, uh, I believe, a long association with Pennsylvania State Parks. Is that correct? For 38 years, uh, most of that spent as a site manager at four different parks over the years. I also spent uh, a lot of time in administrative positions, budgeting, labor relations. Uh, I was always involved in training, uh, particularly public service, park ranger training, those kinds of things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I had a very, very long career with the Department of Conservation Natural Resources in Pennsylvania. I'm a a forester by education. And when I started in the system, basically park managers were foresters as the parks had pretty much evolved from the state forest of of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, they came up with park and rec curriculums, but uh, I predate that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I do want to talk more about the the parks related stuff in a few minutes, but first of all, let me ask uh, you, Toby, you're originally from New Jersey. Was it West Orange, New Jersey, right? right? Isn't that where the Edison Historical Park is? is? Yeah. yeah. My wife and I have been there. That was really interesting. I very much enjoyed that. So uh, you're from New Jersey and Jack's from Pennsylvania. How did the two of you meet? Actually, we've known each other for 62 years. And in the fall of 61, I began my career at Wilson College in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. And Jack was at the Mount Alpha campus, the forestry campus of Penn State. Uh, at that time, Wilson no was all women and Penn State was all men. So in order to get us together, they held what were called mixers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the very first weekend in October, our mixer was with Mont Alto. We called them the Chop Chop Boys at the time, <laughs> at any rate. And they came and we had a barbecue followed by a campus-wide scavenger hunt. And Jack and I ended up on the same scavenger hunt team. The story goes on rather interesting that we got along fine. The next weekend, he decided he wanted to come back and see me, but he couldn't remember my name. (laughs) (laughs) His roommate had taken a shine to my roommate, and he remembered her name. So they worked up this scheme where they would come together to our dorm. Uh, Chuck, what's his name, would ask for my roommate, 
and then ask if I was free. And they figured out once I was there, they somebody would remember what my, my name was. <laughs> but then he came back again the next weekend, and he has kept coming back. <laughs> he even found me in Spain when he was in the army, and I was visiting. He was in Thailand, and I was visiting my sister in Spain. And he just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. So yeah, finally, yeah. <laughs> and he wore you down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that story reminds me. There was an episode of the show Seinfeld that was like that, where he was dating a, a woman and couldn't remember her name, and he kept trying to subtly guess her name. <laughs> so Toby, I know you're an accomplished photographer, and uh, I was reading you. You give uh, or you have given uh, illustrated talks on wildflowers and herbs. Is yeah, wildflowers and herbs was one of my mother's passions, and of course, my father being a photographer, I took with the photography. So I would follow along with even from a oh very young age and take pictures of all the wildflowers along the way while he was looking at the cows and the scenery around, and finally. Having married someone in parks, I we began to lay out trails and more and more wildfires. I took more and more pictures of them and learned about them. And it was a natural thing to do. I haven't done it for several years here, but that's what I started. Mm-hmm. I did make a, when we were at Seguin, I did make a notebook of all the wildflowers from May through September up there with the photographs illustrating them. That's kind of in the tradition of some of the lighthouse keepers and and uh, and wives who were uh, kind of uh, naturalists. Really? Uh, yeah, and, I mean, that's uh, what you had. You, you ate it, used it for medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, the field of historical reenactments is something both of you have been involved with over the years. And I believe for a while, the entire family volunteered as docents, right, at the Colonial uh, Pennsylvania Plantation. So yeah, yeah. So both yes. of us and our two kids were very active there. It was on the property of Ridley Creek State Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we joined there as volunteers and um, did everything <laughs> but from giving tours to special occasions parties I mean, everything you could possibly have done there in colonial costume uh-huh and you I made you costume. made call, period period dress period not dress right. yeah yeah and you made uh the those uh period yes. dress yeah and i did, made them for most of the women there i mm-hmm. had d- done clothing of that period for the revolutionary war group that we had joined during the bicentennial and mm-hmm. I had a lot of patterns and made more patterns and yeah, did a lot of that. Yeah. yeah Very that's, creative. I guess so. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> so Jack, you've uh, done a lot of storytelling, right? Uh, at various places, uh, events over the years. And you, as a storyteller, you're, you're known as Pennsylvania Jack. Uh, so how did that, how did all that develop? Well, I like to tell people that as a, a father, I'm very fond of telling bedtime stories to my children. And as children do, of course, they grow up and they no longer had time for dad's silly stories. But dad wasn't done telling them yet. <laughs> so I, uh, in addition to simply writing them, I started collecting tales as I went along, particularly from the Appalachian settlers, the early Davy Crockett, Mike Fink are two of my favorite characters for telling tales about. And um Mentioned that to somebody and come over and tell us some stories. And that sort of launched that direction. And uh, I'm fairly active. I probably do a storytelling gig once a month, obviously historical groups, park societies, old folks' homes, uh, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. It's been a fun fun sideline of my uh, activities. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I just had a a gig yesterday with uh, one of the local historical groups here. 
I have, um, I, I, I say my story bag probably has a hundred stories in it, if not more. You can read some of those on my website if someone wants to do so. I'm pretty, pretty experimental on, and uh, also a lot of, I like a lot of the old, the old tales that were passed down. You know, not mm-hmm. all mine. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the website. Is it PennsylvaniaJack.com? Is it PAJack.com? PA, PAJack.com. Uh, yeah, PAJack.com. And you'll not only find four categories of stories, but you'll also find my lighthouse page, which is uh, perhaps of interest to somebody. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, if someone wants to look that up, please do. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at it. So, I don't know if it's uh, possible today uh, because our time is somewhat limited but this is a podcast so it's as long as it needs to be but uh, i'm wondering if you if you can give an example of a pennsylvania jack story uh, uh, you know i know they're varying lengths any chance you could do well, one or part you, of one at least give me a little bit of an intro here mm-hmm. yeah i'd like to tell you a story about a boy named jack well perhaps i like stories about a boy named jack because that's my name but you probably know this jack because he's the guy that climbed that beanstalk once upon a time that was only one of the many adventures of Jack. Well, Jack lived with his mother and his brother Tom and his brother Will. They had a small farm out on the edge of the wilderness. It was sort of a hard scrabble farm, and they were always struggling to make do. They raised some cattle. They raised some livestock. They had a big garden. But in order to help with the food supply, Jack started running a little trap line. And he'd bring home a possum maybe once in a while, or a raccoon, or a squirrel, maybe a fox. But one day, he had a little box trap, and when he got out there, in that trap was a little itty-bitty bird, probably about the size of a chickadee. Well, Jack looked at that, and he said, no sense taking that home. I can't eat that. I'll just turn it loose. And just as he was about ready to do that, the bird talked to him. The bird said, oh, sir, sir, please don't hurt me. If you'll let me go, I'll give you something real special. Jack thought I was going to let him go anyhow, so I may as well see what he's got. So he opened the trap, took that little bird out, held him in his hand, gave him a toss up into the air, and that little bird flew away. Jack thought, well, he sure pulled one over on me, but in only a minute, that bird flew back. And in his feet, he was holding this little itty-bitty bag with only about this big and this way, and he dropped it right at Jack's feet. And he said, that's a magic bag. And if you want to know anything more about that magic bag, you just look up www.pajack.com. <laughs> what a tease. Wow. <laughs> you know, people listening to the podcast, I wish they could see you, your facial expressions and your hand gestures when you tell this story because it's great. Uh, it's the whole whole deal. You know, it's a real performance. And uh, I'm wondering, has anybody videoed you telling some of these stories or have you appeared on tv anything like that well, i don't know that i don't know you know i guess it's sort of a low-key thing and i could probably make more of a production out of it if i if i wanted to <laughs> but no i don't think i don't think so well i feel like somebody should get it on on video costume too, you must admit. You tell oh yeah yeah i have my pa jack outfit i've got a several couple different outfits right? Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I wasn't uh, as far from Pennsylvania as I am. I'd love to see a full full performance well, sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you do a New England tour, please let me know, and I'll I'll definitely set something up for you locally for sure. Or maybe um, 
Maybe we can do something virtually sometime. Might be something to to think yeah. about in the future. I'd love to talk more about that, but it's probably time we segue into lighthouses at this point. So how did the two of you, uh, I don't know if there's a simple answer to this, but how did the two of you get interested in lighthouses in the first place? Well, we visited a couple of lighthouses yeah. as tourists, of course, as everybody else does. And we took our children every summer to yeah, someplace that's different. Right. Toby grew up near Barnegat Light, and, you know, so that she remembers playing in there when it yeah, was an abandoned lighthouse for so many years. Part of the scenery, and it was a place to go and swim in the ocean. That was it. Yeah. At that point, it was closed and kind of falling apart. But the light shone, and from our house, you could see that light every night. Uh, they, they have since said no, it hadn't been lit for years, but. My cousins used to come and visit us all summer and finally bought a place there, too. We saw it every night. I, I think it had some influence. Yeah. I bet, I'll bet it did, yeah. Probably what got us involved in the lighthouses, we were on a flight up to New England to visit some neighbors. And we pulled the airline magazine out of the pouch, and it had a little article about offbeat vacations, looking for people to... Run a dude ranch in Wyoming and, uh, you know, help take, with, care, of a dairy farm. take care of a dairy farm in Wisconsin. Orange and there was one to one of a compatible couple to spend the summer on an island off the coast of Maine, which turned out to be Seguin Island. And uh, unknown to each other, we secretly tore that article out of the magazine and brought it home and um, talked about it. And uh, it was just time-wise, was about a year and a half before I was going to retire, before we were both going to retire. They wanted it. They wanted and they it. always try to pick somebody a year or two ahead of time. So the timeline just fit in. We come home, we spent the whole weekend writing up a, an application. Don't think I ever spent that much time on a job application as we did on that one for Seguin. And mailed it off. And we got a call from Ann Webster about three days later and said, can you come up for an interview? <laughs> So we drove this bath in the worst storm of that winter and uh, were interviewed and uh, they I, said, I, you got the job. So uh, that was the summer of 2005. We were actually about a year ahead of time when, when they selected us. We like to jokingly say we really hardly knew an outhouse from a, a lighthouse from an outhouse at the time. <laughs> but uh, Seguin is just a wonderful, magical <laughs> island. Really. Absolutely. I know you've been there. Yeah. And, uh it, yeah, uh, we've we've left a little bit of ourselves at Seguin and brought a little bit of it home with us. So. I see that for the people who can't see it, you're wearing a Friends of uh, Seguin right. Island yeah. T-shirt <laughs> right now. So, can you say a little bit more about what that was like at Seguin? What did you do basically? Uh, what was it like? Well, living there? You use the word. Let me just interject here. You use mm -hmm. the word caretaker a lot. I don't really like that word. Okay. Seguin. Uh, yeah, yes, we had responsibilities for the property, but I like to think we were more hosts and docents and maybe you did a little caretaking and, you know, maintenance and up volunteer. I mean, as a volunteer, there's always jobs that need done. I think we but, need to make up a new word to describe this because there's not one <laughs> one word that encompasses it all. People use yeah. the word keepers a lot for people like doing what you did. I right. tend to be a purist in the, you know, to me, a keeper was somebody who was employed by the government to keep right. that light. Yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah. But but in a sense, uh, in the, those positions, you are modern day keepers, really, right. in many ways. Yeah. So uh, Gwen probably was more of a caretaking position than others because there was mm -hmm. maintenance to do. It was you know, you everything. Were, you did everything you were, from clearing trails and feeding uh, the visitors and you know, showing them around. Yeah, and it was a, pumping water from the end of the. Cisterns. Into the cisterns. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, we had a, we had a garden for our own vegetables to grow our own things. And I grew lettuce and nasturtiums in the window boxes instead of flowers because we could eat those. There was always, always something to be done and, and nothing was done easy. Yeah. When we, once a week, we get, got to go to town. If the sea cooperated and the waters was running in front of the cove, you had to come into a cove. And if the ocean was going into the cove at the same time, yep. and you couldn't get out. That meant no town that week. Yeah. And, um, it was a, for it as was hard a place as it is to get to, it was a very busy place. Yeah. You know, I think over the course of the summer we were there, we had like 3,000 visitors, which doesn't sound like a, like a lot compared to some places, but, but it was regular. I mean, there were the people that were there at daybreak to watch the sun come up. You know, the people that were the birders, the people that actually wanted to know about the lighthouse, and there were some of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were the boats, the boats that would get stuck uh, in a storm and couldn't get out of the cove and would come and spend several yeah, days with we us. Had several families and, uh, spent days with us days because with... they couldn't leave. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we made them play games with us and stretched out <laughs> the meals for two to fit yeah. everybody. And it was kind yeah. of fun to have, to, you know, have yeah. company. We got yeah. out with a uh, rescue of a boat that was lost in the fog that was trying to call the Coast Guard and had no idea of radio protocol or who they were talking to or anything else. And it just so happened we were able to patch through between them and the Coast Guard because the Coast Guard couldn't hear them. But we had a Coast Guard radio. And, uh, yeah. you know, and we sort of coordinated the, the Coast Guard coming out and, and rescuing them in the, in the middle of the night, which was an interesting experience. I'll bet. Yeah. It was a learning experience in many ways. I didn't want to have to take our laundry to town. It seemed to be a waste of time. We'd go to the library and have lunch in town and stop pick up mail and uh, do a little shopping. So what we did for the laundry, which is, I don't know if they still do it or not, but I know several keepers after us said, what a great idea. I'd fill the bathtub full of water, put in the soap, put the clothes in, let them soak overnight. Then the next morning I would get in and take a shower and tramp up and down on the clothes. <laughs> Again, let the water out, let them out, And Jack would wring them out and then we'd go out and hang them out. <laughs> now, sometimes they would dry in one day if there was a lot of wind otherwise it was so wet they might hang there for three or four days but we always brought in our private laundry and hung it up in the hallway and so all these little things about you know what do you do in these different than what we were used to running the washing machine twice a day but uh, just for what you know one example did your laundry ever blow into the ocean no i don't think we lost anything that we didn't use lots of clothespins yeah doing things differently but uh, again we had the hide school came out and we had those youngsters with us for uh, i guess about a couple of weeks i guess it was they cleaned up the old brick from the old chimneys and built a path that went up to the lighthouse but the most fun was at the end of their stays we would take them up in the lighthouse at night which was again magical tell them ghost stories while we were up there mm-hmm. and then bring them down again <laughs> into the museum where all the old keepers portraits hung etc and tell them more ghost stories and have popcorn and lemonade but they went down that hill back to the campground down at the bottom where they stayed never came out of their tents all night long because of the and, ghost stories <laughs> exactly These were high school kids, yeah, yeah. high school kids yeah and then mm-hmm. the next morning Watcho. they <laughs> all were to hunt for the rock where jack had told him a fellow cut his arm off and yeah. led ah. they were red iron ore in the rocks and of course they found those and they were very excited about that we had a lot of fun Uh, other ways we had a lot of family and friends come to visit Mm -hmm. 
put perhaps, them to work. Um, perhaps the first story I ever wrote about lighthouses was my fictional encounter with the ghost. I'm sure you're familiar with the piano story. From Absolutely, yeah. Right. Well, uh, this is my tale of of having met the keeper who did that. You know, sitting down on the shore in what they call Cobblestone Cove, and there is a couple of I'm not sure what the chemical of the rock is, the but iron. they have iron streaks in them, so they they look like blood stained rocks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and this was the site of where I met the keeper who had chopped his hand off. You know, when he killed him. it was the one version says the keeper killed himself too. The other, there's four or five versions of this story. There's also that it didn't even happen at Seguin and happened on Pond Island. So yes, I've your, heard that too. Pick your yeah. version, you know. Yeah, we had a lot of fun there. We. We flew kites from up on the walkway. That's a tradition we've done almost everywhere we've gone. Yeah, we've taken a kite and flown it off the balcony of the lighthouse. Oh, cool. Neat. <laughs> also, um, at night, we found that we could make hand shadow puppets on the island. Well, almost. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Of course, Seguin has has the only first order Fresnel lens still operating in northern New England. And it's pretty spectacular at yeah. night. Uh, there must have you must have really enjoyed that going out. It, it was. It was. Well, uh, with the new with the new optic in there, I think I emailed you that little thing. The, the magic is gone. It used to be like standing under this this umbrella, and it wasn't the rays coming out from the light. It was dark panels. It was like spokesman umbrella. Yes. And I never figured out exactly what created that, but it was just a amazingly. A astragals separating the panes of glass well, and the lantern there were tree. more streaks than there were astragals around the, the lantern. Yeah, we've seen other pictures so, of other lighthouses so, with the lenses. Yeah, that so like I've never that. quite figured out the, the numerics of it. You know, I think that's a 12-sided lamp. I don't remember the number anymore, but, but there were more of these streaks than there were astragals. In interesting, the, interesting. In the, yeah. in the lantern. Maybe the ghost was playing a role in that somehow. At one point, we had a film crew that came out to film a whole other uh, topic, but they painted with light on the outside of the lighthouse at night, and that was just incredible. There was just so many things that that's yeah. a to remember. It's the only place we've been all summer long. Uh, most of the other places we've been uh, a month or two at the most, you know, and that uh, was partially on our choice rather than, you know, you know, they're all different as to how long these places want volunteers for some are fortunate to have a lot of candidates and they can divvy it up i still remember the first time we went to little river i don't know if you know terry rowden up at little river i do okay well we get up there and his wife said thank god you're here i can go get my gallbladder out now uh -huh. <laughs> as they handed us the key right you know? yeah yeah so, no uh, i know i know them pretty well the rounds they're great we could just talk about seguin for hours i think there's so much and you but you've been at so many places i don't think we have time to touch on every one of them individually today but let me ask you a, a general question i know that at some of the places where you've been whether you want to call it caretakers docents uh you know live-in docents uh modern day keepers uh some of these places you've actually portrayed uh, a lighthouse keeper and his wife in costume and everything uh can you tell me about that yeah, we, we think that's important. We were used to doing our tours, et cetera, at the plantation in first person, but it allows us to take the people back to the period with you, when you're dressed, you're speaking. And because so many of the houses and the outbuildings have been removed, there are many people who assume that there was one keeper and he lived in the life tower itself. This way, I can talk more about the domestic side. 
I talk about the families, how the children were educated, and try to paint a picture of what the place looked like when the keepers were actually there, what the outbuildings were, that there were actually horses and cows and everything else there that made up boathouses, things that are now are gone and all you see is a tower. So mm-hmm. in first person and in costume, I kind of I feel like I can take the people back and have them understand more about what it really was like rather than just one tall tower and one man out there lonely going nuts keeping the place <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. There's a misconception I think a lot of people have. They picture the kind of the cliched uh, image of a lighthouse keeper, an old guy with a corncob pipe, you know, looking out to sea, leading a lonely life by himself and living in the lighthouse. I I hear that a lot. You know, people do think that the keepers always lived inside the lighthouse tower, which they did in some cases. But on the mainland or larger islands, they had separate keepers houses and the the keepers. So much more to it than that. Yes, and of yes. Course, once you're in period clothing, then you can do more first person instead of saying they did such and such. It's I. I do this. I do this every morning. My husband goes up and lights the light, and cleans the windows in the morning. All that kind of thing can be told to put them more into the story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, anybody that any places where they can do that sort of thing, I think it's a big advantage. The first place we got into uniforms because we really hadn't thought about it was at uh, Split Rock. Yeah, Split Rock, of course, has quite an extensive staff. And there, rather than being the docents, we were a part of a much larger crew. And they provide keepers' uniforms for all of their male docents. And at the time, I told Lee, he's got too many Ks walking around. He needs a couple <laughs> ones and two and threes, you know. Uh, right. And the Assistance. ladies on the staff were provided with not, stuff not, not the guides but the women in the kitchen yeah okay yeah and uh that sort of got us interested yeah. afterwards saying hey we, that was fun you know being dressed we could do that and we were comfortable with that and you know and uh you try to learn a little bit about a couple specific keepers at split rock say i was in the kitchen and these women dressed as the keepers and or as the housekeeper as the the wives didn't do any first person. And that's one of the reasons they wanted us to come to do it. I quilted a whole quilt on the treadle sewing machine while talking to visitors at one point. Just sat there and kept talking and doing what I was doing. Every morning, we'd put put coffee pot on and put a little bacon and things on the stove and start it up. Uh, wood, stove, stove, wood stove. Wood stove, yeah. Wood, right? uh, so that it has smelled like it was being lived in. Uh, Jack would come over at lunchtime. We take the old photograph and we dance in the living room together, <laughs> and, you know, and this kind of do things. One of his favorite things to do, we had a camera from that period because Jack had collected cameras, and he'd get the people to stand on the porch and tell them that he had to send these pictures in the headquarters, in the headquarters right? to show how many <laughs> visitors we had. And they would pose. Would, of course, there was no film in the camera, but they would pose and ask if they could get copies and try to get them into this also you know, into the period more, whatever we could do. Yeah. To do that. In the afternoon, we actually baked and let the visitors taste different cakes and cookies and various things, had the dough going. So we have made so many friends that we still have there at Split Rock. And I yeah. like to think that uh, we improved their program in the kitchen, at least. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if you ever knew a guy named Terry Toby. Terry no. was their education director for many years and was actually the person that we communicated with and got us to the Split Rock to begin with. And uh, 
he unfortunately passed away soon after he retired, but he was just a, a wonderful addition and component of that whole split rock education program. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I never knew him, but I I know Lee Radzak. I've known him for a long time. And I, I just uh, visited uh, Split Rock Lighthouse for the first time about a year ago. Um, And of course, it's one of the great iconic lighthouses. Elegant. Yeah. That setting on that bluff is so, so beautiful, so dramatic. And it's a big tourist attraction. So what was it like uh, living there at such a place that was so so well, iconic? Was one of the two places, Jeremy, that we did not actually live. We have been very successful at finding places that provide on-site lodging, typically in the Keepers mm-hmm. House. Split Rock did not. Okay. But we still wanted to go there very, very much. So we actually rented a small place down the road so we sort of commuted to work at split rock mm-hmm. since it was since it was um, time, all the ski resorts around had their cabins so even though they have three houses there you know the first one of course is their museum open for part of their tours the second one lee and his family lived in and the third one at that time was just sort of we we want to do something with this someday it, it still looked <laughs> the way that the coast guard had left it so. one that had been a, obviously a coast so yeah. they didn't provide any lodgings we didn't actually live at split rock you know a little different than the than that the split rock and cape mirrors were actually the only two that we haven't had a place right there yeah to live at yeah we, we probably was instrumental in getting me into some of my research, because uh, one of the articles I've done has been on curtains around the lens, and Split Rock has pulled on shades. Well, I was very familiar with curtains in other places, and I came to this lighthouse that has shades. Well, first of all, it's much newer, 1910, and I thought, well, maybe by then they went to shades. Mm-hmm. And I asked Lee, are these original, or did there used to be curtains? Well, he says, there's the fouls, go look. <laughs> So he pretty much gave me access to a lot of the files, and that was a lot of the uh, research that uh, started me off on that whole article about the uh, covers and curtains and uh, stuff. So I give Lee some credit for instigating my lighthouse research, or at least facilitating it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, for people who might not know, Lee Radzak was the uh, longtime uh, live-in caretaker slash keeper of uh, Split Rock Lighthouse for like 36 years. He retired not long ago and he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but uh, a great guy did a tremendous job there. And he wrote a, a recent book about his life there at, at Split Rock. And uh, I think you wrote a review of that book. Beautiful illustrations. It's a wonderful story. Just a must have book. We tell yeah. people if you're in the lighthouses at all, Lee's book is just a treasure of uh, that experience. I completely agree. Again, any one of these lighthouses we could talk endlessly about, but uh, you were at a bunch of lighthouses in in Michigan over the years, and uh, we don't have time to talk about every single one of them, but which which ones especially stand out uh, when you look back at them? Well, I have to tell you about Ontonagon. Mm-hmm. Ontonagon uh, is a different kind of lighthouse for many reasons. First, it's a schoolhouse type. Thing. Has, Lake Superior, yeah. Has the tower attached to the house. It marked the entrance to the river when the ships came down to load their logs that were coming logs down the copper. river. Logs and copper, yeah. And so it, the <clears throat> building used to be right at the end. It had a pier that went out from it and, and the land has filled in. So it's quite a way now from the lake, but still on the river. And we went there wearing first person costumes. And fortunately, the 
townspeople and those people interested in the lighthouse had found all of the keeper's original logs at a yard sale in town. And we had access to those and were able to portray the daily life of those keepers as acting out James Corrigan. And I was his second wife, Josie. Of course, Josie never had, never could come up, of course, to what his first wife did. I I couldn't impress his uniform nearly as well as he did. I couldn't make the Irish stew the way that she did. When it came to having children, she had four and I only had two. So we were in person there, and that was a really fun thing to do. Tanaga is owned by the County Historical Society. It was also sort of interesting that tours started at their museum in town. So part of my duties as the host docent was to drive a little bus <laughs> to transport people from town to the lighthouse, which was oh, wow. about a mile and a half trip because you had to go down the river and across the bridge and back on up. Kind of and thing. this is where I thank uh, Split Rock for teaching me how to control a wood or coal burning stove. Because when we wanted to go to Ontonagon, we were told they had no place for us to stay. And Jack broke the back and said, You've got a house. You've got a house. And they said, But that's our museum. And I said, said, So what? (laughs) Is it furnished like it would have been back then? Yes. Does it have a bed? Yes. Okay. Is there running water? No, but there's a pump at the sink for the you can pump water from there. Uh is there electricity? No. Well, are there any kerosene lamps? Yes. This went on and on back and forth. And we finally said, well, how about bathroom facilities? Well, there is a toilet in the out, out, <laughs> outside. Now they have a composted toilet in the in the basement. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. There is there. But they got us a key to the local marina. And every morning, it was very close. We could walk over there and take showers. So basically, we lived in the museum. We lived in the museum. Okay. Put away I'd like to say we water. were two more exhibits. Were... <laughs> and as soon as uh, our breakfast was over, I'd leave the stove going if there were going to be tours and uh, stick some cookies in the oven. So when the people came in the back door, they could smell cookies. Bring. And of course, it was always, did you cook those in that? But uh, we had really good time playing our roles there. Yeah. yeah. Any other Michigan lights that really stand out. Well, South Manitou was quite interesting because, of course, on an island out in the middle of Lake Michigan. Yeah. Um, and uh, although they no longer, there is a keeper's house there, but it is just a, it is just a horrible decomposing mess. But uh, they provided us a small building that had been part of the life saving station. At one time, oh, so yeah. we actually were staying yeah. right, uh, you know, a hundred yards down the path from from the lighthouse, which uh, makes makes it so much greater for us because we're we can immerse ourselves in the situation much much better, obviously. Of course, it's one of the uh, the tall towers, if you will, that people sometimes refer to as the Poe lights. Although uh, I think William Reynolds gets more credit for them than Poe does, if one does the research, and people would be brought out on the ferry boat, you know, every day. So there was always an audience that wanted, wanted tours. And uh, it mm-hmm. was just, a, that, that, that one stands out simply because of its location I mean, right there on the waterfront on the end of that, on the end of that Island. Yeah. Very briefly, uh, Osable, which is also on Lake Superior was uh, an earlier one. And it's a very, very complete station. It has both uh, two keepers houses, a uh, boathouse, the, uh, what had been the fog signal building, which is now sort of a little museum of theirs there. Oil and a couple of oil houses, uh, both the, the brick and the round uh, oil houses that tend to be 
uh, unique to the Great Lakes, as far as I can see. Uh, and of course, the obligatory privy. You know? <laughs> so it yeah. was uh, probably the most com- the first complete light station we'd really been to, and we yeah. you know, learned a lot more about the about that operation. Yeah. And, Again, there they uh, they also had a uh, an intern the national. That was a national park site, and uh, part of Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore, and uh, but have they've done a very good job of, uh, of preserving and, and restoring that whole facility. Mm-hmm. I was there last year, Osable, in April, and there was still a lot of snow, and it's a bit of a walk for the public to get out there yes, through a is. campground. Yeah, right. So yeah. where did where did you live there when you were there? We lived on the second floor there. In the, okay. uh, the, the, the yeah. 1909 house, which is the, the quotes, new keeper's house, mm-hmm. has an apartment on the second floor for volunteers. And the lower floor is uh, like a little bit of a museum. Yeah. So, uh, the original house is connected. I think they've done a lot more restoration of the original house that they is connected to the tower the time, since yeah. we were there. At the time, it was pretty much just empty. Yeah, yeah. Was, we didn't uh, get this. Yeah, it wasn't open when we were there, but yeah, everything looks certainly yeah. looks good from the outside. The 1909 house that was apparently the style at the time because it is it's identical exactly to the, the three houses at Split Rock. Yeah, the identical building, the one there, mm-hmm. the new one at uh, Osable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, those three probably stand out uh, uh, among. You know, asking which lighthouse is neatest is like you know, which your kids you like best. You know. <laughs> Because they, they all have their own uniqueness to them. And uh, and some places have done a much better job of, of interpreting and knowing. One of the things that I have enjoyed about writing articles is so many places, they have a group, particularly the ones that are friends groups. You know, they're doing a good job of keeping the place, but they know so little about it. Uh, I can still remember a question at, at point at Cape Mears. Uh, every day they would bring a person from their friends group out to spell us at lunch. And this one gentleman asked me, why do you know so much about our lighthouse? Yeah. And I wanted to say to him, why do you know so little about your lighthouse? But I bit my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I also find that even where people know a good bit about that specific site, they don't know much about the system that the lighthouses were a part of mm-hmm. or the, the overriding technologies that, that were involved. And, you know, uh, you know that's uh, we, 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 maybe we, I just am much more interested in digging into things than other people. So uh, we, we marvel yeah. continuously. The more things we see, the more questions we have. And it's hard sometimes to believe they were all part of the same system because everyone is different in some way or other. Even if they look the same, they are different. Yeah, and that, that's part of the fun of that yeah. we've had is comparing them and telling other people yeah. Yeah. one compared to the other. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we could visit yeah. every single one of one of their six hundred still oh. in this U.S. Yeah. or something. Uh, more than eight hundred actually. Yeah. Eight hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe six hundred that are yeah. still. Well, exactly. It'll be different. Yeah, you mentioned you know Seguin used to brag that we have the only first order lens north of north of someplace. <laughs> north, of Rhode, north of Rhode Island, I would say. Well, yeah. now Rhode Island has one, right? You know, the one yeah. that used to be at uh, Cape Lugat, you know. And I said to myself, is that true? Where else were the first order lenses? Which led to the one article I did on the first order lenses of the, the Atlantic coast. So I went down as far as Jupiter. 
And I said, well, why stop there? There's got to be ones you know, from there around in the Pacific. So one thing leads to another. I get curious about things and I want to find out. Yeah. And once I do, I say, well, let's share it with, uh, you know, with the, the White House community in some way or other. And both uh, Tim Harrison and Jeff Gales have been very uh, nice at publishing some of the things I've sent them. You know, Absolutely. And you've done a tremendous <laughs> job of those articles. And I want I wanna, just want to talk a bit more about the, the uh, live-in uh, docent positions for, for a little while. But I want to get into the articles shortly, too. But you mentioned Kate Mears a little while ago. And, you know, the Oregon coast is just so amazing. Uh, I drove the whole West Coast by myself in 2015, and that was an incredible experience. And I, I found the Oregon coast to be as beautiful as any place I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, Kate Mears is a relatively small lighthouse. It's a tiny uh, little giant. It's very short. <laughs> and it's also unusual in that you, you approach it from above. Yes. You know, the houses and all the other buildings were quite a ways above. And as you walk down the path, the first part that you that you see is the lantern. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember, yeah. Yeah. And then there's a walkway that come that comes around to, to you know now, but everything was up it's up, up yes, it is a very short one, but it's sitting uh what, hundred and ninety feet above the above the ocean there and uh, so it doesn't need to be tall. That, right. that was the other place where we had to rest place to stay. They had nothing there. So we wanted, to go, we wanted to go there. We really wanted to go there. And uh, they talked around town, I guess, about, about what they were going to have somebody from a bar coming out. And a school teacher thought that this was such an educational thing that she offered us very, very inexpensively one of her beach cottages up the way or down the way, actually. Yeah. So. And uh, we were right on the beach. We could catch crabs for dinner. It was it was magical, more so than living there, because every morning we came along that coast and looked up, and there was the lighthouse. <laughs> Sitting on that little bluff right it was, there above. Again, above just a magical experience. I get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, that had to be great. It was almost better than being right there all the time. Of course, Cape Mears is one of the ones, and only the tower remains. You know, there's a, a small workroom that's connected, but it, represents the original one but it is not the original so the only thing there and i often tell people that uh, the only reason a lot of the lighthouses themselves still remain is those things were so well built nobody knew how to tear them down <laughs> yeah i think you're right yeah, yeah. i mean that's um, like so many it's a brick is it a brick lined lighthouse covered with metal or is it a metal lighthouse <laughs> yeah. One? yeah yeah uh, but it's a sturdy little thing and it's going to be there a long long time yeah, it is sturdy. Sadly, though, the lens uh, had uh, something happen. Yeah, they shot, it. They shot out a couple well, I think panels they, of it. They were able uh, to do get some restoration work done after those tall fellows with the rifles, and maybe maybe to some degree, I'm not sure. Well, a little bit, but never a full restoration. Yeah. To more money than they they have yeah. there. It was, it was a sad thing. I I hated yeah. hated to see that. I mean, it's a beautiful lens. On the upside. Uh, since the lens was in such poor condition, we were allowed to let the visitors get closer to it and mm -hmm. look, and they could see how the lens would turn things upside down and have their pictures taken with the everything outside. It was a good teaching tool to have a lens that was not in tip-top condition. Yeah. That's that's true. There is yeah. There is... Oftentimes, uh, places don't let people up to that level at all. You know. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I was just reading uh, an article about I forget the White House now, but People cannot go near because somebody might touch it and the oils from their fingers will destroy it permanently tomorrow, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, but, you know, they are 
an amazing device. I, I could refer to a lens as a magical light machine. I use that expression all the time. And uh, I like that. And, uh, you know, people, uh, we're fortunate there's many places you can get a good close-up appreciation for them. Yeah, yeah. That's a great phrase. I, I like to call them works of functional art, beautiful works of functional art. Exactly, yeah. To find out more about Jack Graham's storytelling as Pennsylvania Jack, visit pajack.com. And you can read many of his articles in the Keeper's Log, the U.S. Lighthouse Society's quarterly journal. I had so much fun talking with Jack and Toby about their years of involvement with lighthouses. We'll hear part two next week. We're actually recording on uh, today on March 22nd, and in a few days I'll be heading out to the U.S. Lighthouse Society's headquarters at the Point No Point Light Station in the state of Washington. I'll be out there for a week working on various video and podcast projects. It's been more than four years since I was last out there, and it'll be nice to get back. Looking forward to seeing the staff and volunteers who work there and also the incredibly beautiful surroundings there. It's, it's a really beautiful part of the world. Thanks to all the staff, volunteers, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society for continued support of this podcast. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about the Society's passport program, preservation grants, the research catalog, and everything else the Society offers. We also want to extend our thanks to everyone out there who is working to preserve our lighthouses and their history. We're all on the same team. If you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. Also, I want to remind people about the event I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes. I'm sure you remember, Michelle. We'd like to have an event on a day in August, uh, probably close to National Lighthouse Day. We haven't set the date yet, but it'll be in early August. A date when people will gather at lighthouses everywhere and dance to the same song at the same time, kind of like a giant flash mob. Yep. And I'm um, looking for people to help coordinate all this. If you're interested in helping to coordinate it, or if you have a group that would like to participate at a lighthouse or elsewhere, please email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Again, jeremy at uslhs.org. The Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw once wrote, quote, I can think of no other edifice constructed by man as altruistic as a lighthouse. They were built only to serve, end quote. We will be back next week with part two of the conversation with Jack and Toby Graham. Until then, as always, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. Shine, let it shine